himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. So I wanted to use those three songs sort of as to get us ready for this time of talking about God's love for us and also for the lost. Just as a reminder, this is going to be the last breakfast. We'll take a couple breaks and we'll come back in September because a lot of people take summers off. So, you know, ultimately, God wants us to be praying not just for ourselves, but for those who we love and are lost. And so we'll start with prayer for that. Let's pray. Bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for the men that are here at the breakfast and their families, all that are represented here, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to watch over and guide each one of us. We pray for those who couldn't be here. We pray for those that are lost, Lord. We pray that you would give us a heart of compassion for them. Lord, help us to have our hearts and minds and bodies open to your word and to your will and help us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today I'm planning to do a quick review. I'm going to make it a little more interactive maybe than normal. Um, I'm going to ask maybe for some participation. So a couple years ago, uh, Ken Saragusa did something on memorial stones, memory stones, making stones of memory. Ebenezer stone is one of the things he talked about. And what that was is you basically do something in your life and you remember it. Um, And Sam actually did a teaching on looking back before looking forward about the people of Israel who left 40 years in the desert and were entering the promised land and had to appreciate where they were versus where they were going because they were coming into this great land of milk and honey, but ultimately leaving a desert. So this today I'd like us to think about memorial stones and maybe with this verse, I'm going to use one verse in specifics that you probably all know. And I was just wondering if someone could tell me if they know the verse, and I'm not talking about Steve, I'm talking about somebody else. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Does anyone know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? I'm, wait, let me hear that again. Emmanuel, could you please give us Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, please? Yes. Very close. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is the verse I'm talking about. We say it a lot in, our, in Christianity. This verse comes up a lot. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works that no one can boast. So I've underlined all these different words. I want to break through each one of those quickly before we get to talking about the lost. Why? I think this verse encapsulates our salvation. So who can tell me what grace is? Jerry. Something that God gives you that you don't deserve. Excellent. Grace is unmerited favor. God not giving the sinner... If you see uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So it's God's benevolence towards humanity. We deserve the punishment for the sin that we commit. But because Christ died for us, we receive his grace. And so I like that God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. And in Hebrews 2.17, it's right there on the screen. It says this, therefore, He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God 
he to make for the propitiation of the sins of the people. Christ has placated the wrath of God, which we deserve and we receive. So for by grace, we have been saved. So we don't merit it, but God gives it to us anyways. He gives us what we don't deserve, not what we do deserve. So grace, that's the first word. We got to be thankful for the grace that we receive. Number two, for by grace, you have been saved, saved, saved from what? R.C. Sproul. He was actually a teacher at a university and he was in lunch at the cafeteria and he had to get back to class. So he starts walking through the quad. He's at this college and this kid jumps up in front of him. Are you saved? And first of all, he thought, not saved from you bothering me on the way to my class. But then second of all, he said, saved from what? And this kid sort of stumbled and fumbled, and eventually he gave him the gospel, but it made him think, what are we saved from? Anybody can throw something that we're saved from out there? The wrath of God. I love it. Anybody else? Okay, that's good. What have you been saved from? We've been saved from God's wrath. We've been saved for God's purpose, and we've been saved by God's design. So I'm going to read a couple quick scriptures. So I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9, and this is what we're saved from, and we should be thankful that God has saved each one of us from this. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. God will exterminate this earth. Also in Zephaniah, I'm going to not read the whole thing, I'm going to start at verse 17. It says, I will bring distress on mankind so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them and deliver them. On the day of wrath of the Lord, in the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. And a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. We're saved from that. And one last one, Romans 13, uh, 3, 10, 9, 9 through 19. I'm not going to read it all, but that's the one that talks about no one is righteous. No one seeks God. We're all against God. We have basically, it says that our, our throats are an open grave. Our tongues deceive. Our lips basically are ass, venom, venom of asps. Our mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And we're swift to shed blood. There's no fear of God before our eyes. So thankfully it says the world will one day be held by God to account for all that. And so thankfully, once again, we're saved by his grace. Thankful for that. Saved that we're not going to receive his wrath. When we're saved also for his purpose. Does anyone know Ephesians 2.10? Ephesians 2.10? Anyone? No? That's okay. So Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we are God's workmanship created to do good works in Christ Jesus. So our purpose is to do good works for Jesus Christ. So the purpose is for good works. Uh, this is what Isaiah says. Isaiah says this, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, God's glory, not ours. And then Isaiah uh, 43, 7 says this. No, excuse me. Romans 7, 28. I'm going to read the second part, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
Why? For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, we're also made, saved for God's design. So Colossians 1.16 says this, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Then in Ephesians it says this, He chose us in him before all things were created, in heaven and on earth. No, excuse me. Um, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to his purpose and his will. And the last one, Ephesians 11.1, 1, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel and his will. It's by his purpose that we're saved. Lastly, by his design. So, if basically, God has designed us to worship him, and he's created us to be who he wants us to be. So this is why we're saved, for God, from God's wrath, for God's purpose, and for God's design. Okay, for, by grace you have been saved through faith. Okay, next word, faith. What is faith? Anyone? Let's hear it. Anybody? Close. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to give you three different versions of the same verse. Faith. This is Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's in NIV. It's also in NASB and ESV. I'm going to read them all. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Now faith is the certainty of things hoped for. A proof of things not seen. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So what is it? Faith is confidence, certainty, assurance of what? Assurance of what we can't see, a proof of things not yet seen, and a conviction of those things not yet seen. Ultimately, here it is. Faith, without faith, if we don't have faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That's us. Hebrews eleven six. So we've covered grace. We've covered being saved. We've covered faith. Now it says, it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. What's the gift of God? What is it? Salvation, eternal life, right? So that's the gift. Here's the gift. The gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, trespass that's Adam, much more has the grace of God and the free gift of that grace. Once again, the free gift of grace. It says that through one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And lastly, this is basically, I think about the free gift. The free gift is given to us by God. And we don't know how it works. Because guess what? Nicodemus went to Jesus. How, does, how must a man be born again? And Jesus said, you know, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear the sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is that everyone born of the Spirit. Ultimately, it's a gift of God. It's not us doing anything. God does it all. Okay, what about not by works? So, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. What is that works? What's works? Anyone? Yes, self-works. I believe, therefore, God's going to save me, right? Okay, anybody else? Any other works? Some people have works like if I do good for people, if I give money, that's works. Like earning your salvation, right? So this is what works is. It says, not of works. It says in Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We know the way of the master. Have you guys seen the way of the master? He uses the Ten Commandments. He asks people the question, are you a good person? They all say, yes, I'm a good person. Are you going to heaven? Yes, I'm going. Why are you going to heaven? Because I'm a little better than the other person. And then he says, can I test you? Um, Have you ever stolen anything? Oh, yeah, I've stolen something. Have you ever lied to someone? Oh, yeah, I've lied. Have you ever lusted after another woman? Yes, I've lusted. Okay, so you're a lying, thieving, adulterer. Oh, you're a good person? God's going to let you into heaven? No, by the standards of the law, no one can get in. If you break one law, you break them all. So it says this in Isaiah, for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments and all of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. That passage, we all know it, but that, that word filthy garment It's really nasty when you get into it. It's a woman's menstrual cloth that's been used. And this goes back to Christ time, not the nice sanitary 2021 style. And so it's nasty. That's what our works look like to Christ. Um, So it says, whoever believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed, believed in the name of the only son of God. So, Jesus said this, and a lot of people don't like this verse, but this is the way it is. Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and, no li- uh, and, and the life, and no man comes to me unto the Father but by me. So that's the only way. So, for by grace you have been saved through faith, this not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not a result of our works, that no one may boast. We all know what boasting is, right? Boasting is easy. So, it says this in uh, Corinthians, for, but God chose that the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring, to bring things, nothing, excuse me, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might be able to boast in his presence. Ultimately, anyone who thinks they're going to be able to go to God and say, let me into heaven, they're going to be rudely disappointed. Um, And then in Jeremiah, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich boast in their riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I have delight, declares the Lord. So, we're not going to be able to boast in the presence. So encapsulating all this, and this is our memorial stone. This is what we're basing today's sort of looking for the lost and looking to love the lost. 
is that these are all the things that we receive as Christians. So only God can offer us the gift of eternal life. The Lord proves, provides us his salvation by believing in him only. And he does the work. We don't do it ourselves. We want to take credit for it. We don't. So be thankful that God chose us before the foundation of the world. So with that, we're going to move on to the law. So that was more of an introduction. We'll have time for Q&A if you guys want to ask questions or anything else. So, so this, everyone knows the parable of the lost sheep, right? God is the, the shepherd. There's a hundred sheep. One of the sheep goes missing. He looks for the sheep. He goes all over the place. He leaves the 99. Well, before we talk about the lost in a, in a way that looks like they're lost over there, let's remember that we also were lost sheep at one time. And so this is what Colossians says. Colossians says, uh, actually, I'm going to start with, not Colossians, I'm going to start. Well, I'll start with Colossians. It says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. I'm going to go back to Corinthians. Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, the adulterers, the idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And one of my favorite verses, Isaiah 1:18. though your sins were like scarlet, they became white as snow. Though they were like crimson, they became as wool. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, so the parable goes on to say that he finds the lost sheep, right? And this is what it says after he finds the sheep. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. So the parable is a great reminder for us not to give up on anyone, any of our loved ones, anyone who may have walked away from the faith not currently in God's fold. We should pray for them. We should search for them. We should love them. And we should see if we can find lost sheep and also set off a celebration in heaven. That would be awesome. So to emphasize, to emphasize some of this, what I want to do, has anyone ever heard or, or written, uh, seen this, the uh, Jonathan Edwards uh, uh, sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God? You have? Excellent. Okay, so I'm going to use some of the lines that he uses because I thought they were great to think about the, the lost because you have to have compassion for the lost. So this is what he says. This is what Jonathan Edwards says. The natural, unregenerate man who lives outside of Christ should not be secure for one moment. Whether he feels healthy and he has no signs of illness or he feels far from death. For he cannot know and see how quickly he can leave this earth by way of accident unbeknownst to him. And I'll attest to that. One day I was driving from church after church on Highway 101 driving north. I was in the far right lane. Out of nowhere, the far left lane on the fast lane, the guy's tire blows out. He moves over to the right lane. That car moves over to the right lane. Luckily, there was a lane between me and the other guy. And that guy moved there. Had I been in that lane, if, I, if I, there was no, another car next to me, I would have smashed them. And that's how quickly it could have changed. I'll give you one other real life story. So my brother, he's 61 years old. 
Southern California, and he was on a beautiful day, sunny in California, right, Southern California, cutting down palm branches. And his son, 20-year-old son's holding onto the ladder. They're cutting him. And then his son says, hey, Dad, I want to go inside for a minute. And he says, okay, go ahead. He says, but Dad, wait for me to come back out. And he goes, I only got one. It's not a big deal. I'll cut this last branch, right? So my, my brother's son goes in, and then my brother leans over, and this, he's about 12 foot up, and he tries to cut the palm, and he loses his balance, and he falls straight down. 12 feet on his back and head and on cement. They called 911. They basically had to take him away in paramedics. That's how quickly, and thank God everything went okay. He's all right. But that's how quickly the world can change. I want to show you something. I hope this works. I want to imagine yourself just driving on any Saturday or Sunday on any freeway in California. And then watch this. And tell me if you'd expect this on any given day. Oh, let's see. Pastor Steve, will this be able to transfer or not? Darn it. Because um, I, I got another screen. It's a little video up here. Okay. Uh, anyways, what's happening is these people are driving, and there's a semi-truck that comes out of nowhere, and it basically obliterates five or six cars. And so the main point is those people that were driving that day weren't expecting it. Okay. So, but anyways, my point is this. Those people that were driving in those cars and the one person that died, they didn't expect to die that day. And ultimately, none of us do, and we don't know when it's going to happen. These are all examples of why we shouldn't be too confident in our lives today and tomorrow. Okay? Um, so I'm going to go on, and ultimately, this is what the Bible says God says about the lost, because we're talking about the lost. Those people, thank God, you know, ultimately, I don't know if that person was saved or not, but that would have been their last day on this earth. So this is what God says about the lost. Do I have any pleasure in the death of a wicked, declares the Lord, rather that they should turn from their ways and live? One other one. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Repent and live. This is to all the people that are walking on the face of this earth. God wants us to basically let them know about him. I'm going to read something else that, uh, that Edward said. He said this. The unsaved man walks over the pit of hell every single day on a rotten, thin covering that has multiple places where the covering is so weak that it will not bear up under one's own weight. In all of these areas, you cannot see. The arrow of death flies unseen in midday looking for someone to strike. The sharpest eyes cannot see it. And no hand can stop it mid-flight. God has so many unsearchable ways of taking out wicked men and women from this world and sending them to hell. God's daily providence can destroy any man at any time. All this means that at any time, any man walking out in everyday life is in God's hand under his absolute control to do as he will. A sinner can go to hell at any time. Why don't they? It says, God is patient, notwithstanding anyone should perish, that they should all reach to repentance. God wants all of us and all our family members to repent and turn to him. And ultimately, it's not about God being slow. God is patient, much more patient than we are. Um, further, Jonathan Edwards says this, A sinner's wickedness in this world makes them like a heavy lead weight, and gravity is pulling us downward with great pressure towards hell. 